We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I've got Christine Kizik with me today, and uh, Christine is uh, actually the wife of a good friend of mine who does Chinese medicine. Uh, Christine ostensibly doesn't do Chinese medicine, but she's kind of connected to it, and we're going to find out all about that here in just a moment. Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Okay. Um, I am a mom of two little girls. And I'm a lot crunchier than I used to be. Crunchier than you used to be? Yeah, crunchier than I used to be. Yeah, all right. So what does that mean? Well, now I would probably say my life is pretty crunchy. I make pretty much all of our, you know, skincare, body care products in the house. I clean with baking soda and Castile soap. Um, I've started making kombucha and bone broth. So it's changed a lot since... I was a teenager when I was pretty much eating lots of processed foods and drinking a Diet Coke for breakfast in the morning. And uh, well, so, yeah. But everybody knows you should be drinking real Coke for breakfast. I know, right? All yeah. that sugar. It's good to start off your day. So, all right, you've had some kind of transformation here. What, uh, what happened? When did this start happening? Or is this something <laughs> that, that occurred over time? Or was it because you married this guy who does Chinese medicine? What's going on here? Well, probably a little bit of everything. I think it's kind of been a gradual since I've had children because you start to think about um, what you're feeding them, the chemicals around them, reading lots of articles about the impact of our modern day life. You know, so many people have weight issues and autoimmune issues and allergies and, you know, the list goes on. So you start to worry about the potential of what you're putting in your kids and how that might impact their development and their life, really. So it was your kids that really got you thinking more about the environment, uh, more about nutrition, more about just being healthy. Well, yeah, because it's it would be hard for me to just feed them certain things and not think about the impact of that decision. So and diet, so diet no sodas for breakfast were not on the menu. Diet sodas for breakfast are not on the menu in this house, no. And it's, I'm by no means, this is not an all or nothing. So I believe in balance and I believe in, you know, treats here and there. But for the most part, we try to keep our life pretty healthy in terms of what we eat and, and chemicals or lack thereof around us. Right. I, I had a show that I did recently with um, Erica Elliott, who is uh, kind of a non-conventional, con- well, I wouldn't say conventional doctor. She was an MD. And, and she has a huge focus on environmental medicine and a huge focus on the various toxic loads that we're all kind of either carrying or contributing to, or, or if we're living well, maybe getting rid of a bit. So this is, this is not a small issue. Tell me more besides the kids, how this all came to your attention. 
Well, I guess uh, with the company, kind of, it started a couple of years ago when I actually, oh, I read a book called There's Lead in Your Lipstick. And it's written by a Canadian author, and her name is escaping me at the moment. But it was a great book. That's okay. We'll, we'll find the name and put it on the show notes. Okay. Um, and it just basically opened my eyes to all of the chemicals in products that I was using on a regular basis. And all of the greenwashing of a lot of natural products that are out there in the market these days. What do you mean by greenwashing? Well, greenwashing, I guess one way to define it is just it's the process where a company will say their product is natural or use green packaging or certain images that connote natural living. So leaves, trees, you know, happy, healthy people. And they might have something like, you know, natural or botanical on the packaging. But when you actually turn around the product and read the ingredients, uh, it's not natural and it's full of chemicals. So it's the process of greenwashing is to make something seem that it's greener than it actually is. So it's basically fooling the consumer to get more sales. You know, I got fooled myself that way just not long ago. It was totally embarrassing. I was at a dinner. I was having dinner. There were some people over. We were having a discussion about natural products, basically. And I was saying, oh, yeah, there's this one. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to name the company, but there's yeah. this one thing. Oh, I love it. They got this really nice hand stuff, and it's all natural. Here, mm-hmm. let me show you. And I went back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And I grabbed it, and I came back, and I realized I couldn't read like one-third mm-hmm. of the ingredients that were in it. It's pretty discouraging when, that, when you kind of realize that. And, you know, some people know it and don't care, and that's fine. And some people figure it out and are just appalled that certain companies – are doing that. And that was kind of my reaction. I was just, I was mad that companies were pretending to be something that they're not because I don't like being, you know, I don't like being tricked. So, so that's when I started really reading uh, the ingredients and I still get fooled. Also, I got fooled with a hand, like a dish soap the other day because it was a company that I've heard of and I thought they were natural and I'm the queen of reading labels. But for some reason, in this case, I just trusted the company and then I got it home and I started using it and it just smelled overpowering and I turned it over and the second ingredient was sodium lauryl sulfite, which is a foaming agent which has all sorts of nasty reports about causing all sorts of horrible things and fragrance, which is basically an ingredient and it means it could be anything because it's proprietary. So they'll never tell you what's in it and it's where are lots of hidden ingredients can be found. So so everybody gets fooled. Even the people who say they read ingredients, which is me, um, I get fooled. Lots of people get fooled. It's hard not to because, you know, these companies are really good at what they do. Yeah. Let me ask you about the dish soap for just a moment because uh, this actually gets a little bit personal. My wife, a little bit like you, she's like totally into natural stuff. Yeah. I don't know if she'd define herself as crunchy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they have... How would you say crunchy in Chinese? Anyway... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I could but, ask Iran. He'll probably know. Uh, he probably would, and I and I probably should know anyway. Mm-hmm. At any rate, she recently has stopped using dish soap, which drives me crazy because I don't know how to wash things without dish soap. But she's using mm-hmm. like baking soda and this and that. And yeah, um, what are you using for dish soap these days? I bought a different version after I found out that mine was not was full of gross stuff. Um, what's it do you called? use dish soap or you just use baking yeah. soda? No, I use I use dish soap. I, I like what I was saying before. It's kind of all about balance. Um, and slowly, might everything might overtake in our house, and we might just have both baking soda, vinegar, and Castile soap everywhere. But for now, we're still using other products as well. But when we use them, we try to use ones that don't have a lot of nasty ingredients and uh, are are not as bad. Right. So all of this kind of led you to making some products, skincare products. Hmm. And was this just for home use or did you have this idea that you were going to uh, create this international company that you now have? (laughs) No, I never had an idea that it would create an international company. I started because I wanted to have products that I would want to use. So it was basically a selfish endeavor that I wanted to use products that were really good, high quality, organic ingredients where possible and that were not insanely expensive because a lot of the times some of these products are really, 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 really expensive. And uh, I just wanted to be able to make things for myself. And then I started talking about it with friends, and then friends became interested, and then I would test out different products on friends, and they would really like them, and then they wanted them. So 
then it kind of started my wheels turning a little bit. I guess I've always kind of been a bit of an entrepreneur. This is my third little business, so. Ah, serial entrepreneur. I guess so, yeah, serial entrepreneur. Yeah, so that's kind of how it started. It just became, it started from just wanting to make my own products for Mm -hmm. myself based on what I used. And I don't use a lot of products, but I do use certain things. So that's where it came from. Great. What kind of products are you making at this point? What's your what's your product line look like? And what kinds of stuff are you putting in it? Um, well, we I make deodorant. So it's an all-natural deodorant that actually really does work. It's not an antiperspirant because you're supposed to sweat. Your body is supposed to sweat. It gets the, you know, the toxins out of your body. And that's a really popular one. That one contains baking soda arrowroot powder, and the baking soda is aluminum-free, um, arrowroot powder, beeswax, coconut oil, and then kind of part of what our company is, because of the collaboration with my husband, Ran, he practices Chinese medicine, and a huge part of his practice is Chinese herbal medicine. So he decides what herbs would be good for each product, and then we infuse herbs, Chinese herbs, in oils. Um, and in our, our coconut deodorant, it's in a a sweet almond oil, the Chinese herbs. So they're all things you can pronounce, except, well, probably most people won't be able to pronounce the Chinese herbal name. <laughs> that would be, a, that could be an issue, yes. But, um, so that's our, that's by far our top seller. And that one has started to be carried in different places around town. You know, I'm struck, and this makes so much sense when you said it, that you've got this herbal deodorant, but it's not an antiperspirant that it's not going against the body's own natural inclination, which, of course, is to expel toxins. Yeah. If that's what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, and it's interesting. when you If you go to a, just a regular drugstore and look in the deodorant aisle, uh, most of the deodorant that's marketed to men is deodorant. So, like, cover a scent or stop you from smelling. Mm-hmm. And, but actually, most of the deodorant that's marketed to women is an antiperspirant. It's actually quite difficult to find a deodorant for women in a typical drugstore. They're mostly antiperspirants, and I don't know why. I guess because women don't like to sweat. Well, women women aren't supposed to sweat. They're supposed to glisten. You're, yeah, you're supposed to glisten or glow. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. Why do, you know, why are there are more chemicals in the, the ones marketed to women with the antiperspirant? But you're supposed to sweat. It's your body's way of cooling down and getting rid of things in your body. So, you know, it's not a good idea to stop these processes. Right. What other kinds of things do you have in your product line? So we have um, essentially a moisturizer. Um, It's a face oil and it's not a cream as most moisturizers are. And the reason I did that was because most creams are a combination of oils and waters and chemicals and preservatives to keep it from going rancid because once you introduce water to a product, the incidence for it to go rancid goes up. So you have to introduce uh, preservatives to stop that process from happening. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to use any preservatives or chemicals. So I decided to make a straight oil blend. Um, And it's a blend of really high quality oils. There's argon oil, there's tamanu oil, there's, and then we also infuse Chinese herbs in sweet almond oil and use that. And then, so how that works is you mix it with a little bit of water or a hydrosol, which is like a floral water. And then that's your face cream. So you put a little bit of, of water, a little bit of oil, and you blend it yourself each day. It's super easy. It comes in a dropper and you just put a few drops in the palm of your hand spray some hydrosol or sprinkle some water in that same hand, rub your hands together, and then put it all over your face and neck, and that's your moisturizer. That sounds great. Yeah, it's great, and it's not greasy. You know, people are afraid to put oil on their face, but it's actually really good for your skin, and it absorbs really quickly, and it doesn't leave you greasy. The oils that we've chosen are all non-comedogenic, so they don't clog your pores. And um, some people have said that since they've started using it, their skin has become more even and more balanced and actually less oily because you're not kind of using chemicals to strip your skin. And then, you know, when usually if you wash your face with typical cleansers, there's all sorts of, of um, chemicals that strip the oil, the natural oils in your skin. And then you put a moisturizer to replenish that. So we kind of try to keep more of a balance where we're not stripping any natural oils from your skin. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any soaps? Uh, no soaps yet. We do um, we do cleansing grains for face wash, which is basically just a dry 
grain mix of oats. And then I have one that has ground lavender and ground azuki beans and oats. And that's our lavender and azuki cleansing grains. And then I have a different one, which is calendula and rose. And that's, so that's ground calendula, ground rose, goat milk powder and oats. And then you, so you just add a little bit of water to that and then use that as your scrub. Now I'm a guy, so I don't know about these face scrubs and stuff. I mean, I see my wife use them and I've, you know, I've seen them advertised around and this and that. How's a facial scrub different than a soap? Well, it's for your face. The oats, it's just, it's milder. It's gentler. Oats have saponins in them, which is like a mild cleansing agent. And then it just kind of gently exfoliates your face because your skin is constantly shedding. So it kind of helps to get the old skin cells out of, off of your skin. And it's just very mild. Like, you know, I, I, I personally don't think you need harsh cleansers on your face because it's not like most of us are working out in the field, sweating, dirt and grime all over. You know, most of us lead pretty clean lives. And I just don't think that you need harsh cleansers for your face. Right. So these uh, granules, they don't strip the natural oils out. They just exfoliate off the, it's kind of like a really fine sandpaper. Yeah, but it's not, yeah, but not painful. (laughs) But not painful. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just mild, mild exfoliation. Yeah, and my, my skin used to be kind of, it just wasn't very soft before I started all this. And since I started doing this, I've I really noticed that my skin is just, it's smoother. It just, it just feels better. I got to get me some of this stuff. Yeah, you should, definitely should. <laughs> okay. I, I, I want to get back for a moment to this book that you mentioned earlier, Lead in Your Lipstick. Mm-hmm. Is there really lead in lipstick? I believe there is, actually. And I think it has been in there for a long time, and I don't remember why, but there's something about it. There is. There's, you would actually really be amazed at some of the things that are in a lot of products and food and drinks. But yes, I believe there is actually lead in a lot of lipsticks, and I think historically there has been. And I think formulations are changing now that people are becoming more and more aware of all of this stuff. But uh, yeah. There is. And one of the things actually I heard about that was the most disgusting in terms of ingredients in uh, products, and this is totally going to gross you out, and I'm sorry, but it's kind of too funny not to share. Let's have it. <laughs> hey, come on. I do Chinese medicine. We use some pretty weird stuff sometimes. Yeah, That's true. And I can't remember the uh, botanical name, but this is an ingredient that's used a lot in natural flavors, and it's actually used a lot in... Uh, natural vanilla and raspberry f- and maybe strawberry flavors. Uh-oh. But it's... Uh, should I be worried? I'm you getting really worried. Should. Yeah, you really should be worried because it's actually quite disgusting. It's from um, beaver's anal glands. Oh, like some sort of a musky kind of thing. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Beaver butt. There's beaver butt in your vanilla latte. Well, it, it sounds natural to me. Well, it is natural, and that's why they can get away with calling it natural flavor or natural ingredients, because it is natural, right? But would you want that in your vanilla pudding or your vanilla latte if you knew that that's where it was coming from? You know, I don't know. I think, (laughs) I mean, if it's beaver butt versus, well, actually, let me ask you, what are some of the common ingredients that you would find that are problematic. There's reasons why people wouldn't want to have that on their face or in their body. Yeah. Well, there's parabens, there's SLS, which is sodium lauryl sulfite, which is a foaming agent, which is in so many things. Yeah. So what's the mischief that that sodium lauryl shimunamuna does? Sulfite? Well, yeah. it, I can't remember exactly because I never really delve too much in all of these nasty ingredients because I realized, well, I know that they're gross. I don't need to know all of the details about why. And I can't remember. I've read about them many times. But I just kind of don't hold that stuff in my brain because my brain only holds so much. And I'd rather hold on to information that is positive. (laughs) But sodium, like the sodium lower sulfates, it's it's like a harsh detergent. And it Mm. gives products like latherability. So in like soap, shampoos, um, bubble bath, dish soaps, hand soaps. Toothpaste. Toothpaste. It's, it's in like everything because most toothpaste lather and foam, right? Um, 
Yeah, it's one of the reasons I make my own these days. Exactly. Yeah, me too. I don't use that stuff anymore. I make so many things and walking into our bathroom is kind of like walking into maybe some other person's kitchen from the 1800s, but that's, you know, a different thing. Well, I've heard it said that really you shouldn't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't be willing to put in your mouth. Well, and that makes sense though, right? Because your skin is the largest organ in your body. It's very absorbent. It absorbs things. Things go into your bloodstream, into your cells in your body. And the cumulative effect of all of these applications of minute amounts on a daily basis. So if you're using, you know, a body wash, and then if you're using shaving cream, and then if you're using lotion, and then if you're using deodorant, and if you're using perfume, and you're using, uh, you know, the list can go on and on and on. Nail polish, hairspray, makeup. There's so many different products that ha- might have some of these ingredients and the cumulative effect of minute amounts in all of these ingredients used on a daily basis for however many years, it has to go somewhere. And it's just, you know, you don't need to use these products. You don't need to use these ingredients. You're, they're used because they give a certain feel or because they're cheap or they give a certain smell that people think they like. And then you just think that you... You need to have foamy shampoo, and then you just get used to it. And I just kind of don't think that you, for me anyway, that I need all that stuff. Right. Well, I certainly see, you know, as a practicing uh, acupuncturist, that people come in and they've got allergies or they've got skin conditions. Um, Sometimes it's migraine headaches. I mean, there's a number of things it could be, but it is because their systems have become more sensitive than they used to be. And often they're more sensitive because of these fairly high loads of, of chemicals that they haven't been able to clear out of their system. And, and it, it, it can come from the food. It can come from the shampoo, it, it, you know, it, in the air we breathe. Everywhere. It's really kind of hard to take in once you kind of realize the scope of it. Like it's kind of everywhere. And we recently kind of got rid of pretty much all of the plastic Tupperware and dishes and stuff and replace it all with glass and stainless steel, in which we had them anyway. But, you know, when you have little kids, it can be hard to replace broken things all the time. And we the whole BPA-free um, thing that just came out a couple of weeks ago, that BPA-free plastic was better for you, and now it's not. So <laughs> there's always new information. So keeping on top of it all can be kind of overwhelming, but you just do what you can. You do the best that you can. And Hope that you're making good decisions for your family and you. And uh, But yeah, it can be pretty overwhelming because it's kind of everywhere. And I've noticed myself with friends who have young children, so many of them have allergies and so many of them have food sensitivities. Like some of them are really, really severe food sensitivities where they can only eat a few things without having some sort of really scary reaction. So it's scary. Mm-hmm. You mentioned toothpaste a little while yes. ago. I'm curious to know what's in your toothpaste. I love my toothpaste. And um, I made a Rand try it, and he thought it was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> wait a minute, wait. He's the Chinese medicine guy. He, he should be able to eat anything. <laughs> he can, but he, just, he does not like my toothpaste, and that's fine. It's totally fine. All right, so what do you got in this toothpaste? And my toothpaste is basically just a mix of baking soda and coconut oil and some calcium. I I bought a tooth powder from a natural store, which has just calcium carbonate powder and hickory root. And then I add a little bit of uh, peppermint essential oil and mix it all up. So it's kind of like a a paste. And then I just put a little bit on my toothbrush and there we go. It's interesting. I've recently myself uh, because I had some issues with my gums and and thinking Chinese medicine wise, well, I, I should be swishing some myrrh and some uh, ruchang, how do you say it in frankincense. Um, oh, I, should, yeah. I, I should be swishing these things over my gums. And I thought, well, what if I brushed it into my gums? And, and so I did something mm-hmm. really similar. I, I took some of those herbs, yeah. ground them up, put them into coconut oil yeah, and a little bit of baking soda. Perfect. And that's it. That's awesome. I love stuff like that. I think it's great. You should try, you should try oil pulling. Tell us about oil pulling. I've, I've heard some stuff about this, but I, I'm no expert. What, what's oil pulling? I'm no expert either, but from what I've read, it, it kind of 
it's really good for your oral hygiene. Apparently, it's really great for your gums. It can help remineralize your teeth if you have sensitive teeth that are prone to cavities. Um, apparently, it pulls the toxins from your mouth. I don't know. Um, but you essentially just swish around coconut oil or sesame oil in your mouth for 20 minutes and then spit it out. And it, that's it. And it, it actually leaves your mouth feeling really, really clean. And I've I made um, these little, I found it on a website, a blog that kind of made it a little simpler and more user-friendly where you make these oil pulling, essentially, um, melts in a little candy mold. So I mixed uh, essential oils with the coconut oil, mixed that together, and then poured it in little candy molds, let it cool and harden, pop them out, and then I just keep them in the fridge. And then I just put one of those in my mouth, let it melt, chew it around, swish it around for 20 minutes. And I usually do this while, you know, showering. And, and it's funny because now my girls know that if I'm talking like this, mm, 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 that I'm doing my oil pulling and we've learned to get really creative with our hand gestures if they have a question. And uh, it's pretty funny. But it's supposed to be really good. And I haven't used conventional toothpaste in probably a couple of years. And my dentist is totally fine with it. And I haven't had any cavities. So this is kind of an experiment, I guess. But it seems to be okay. If I were to have, you know, a mouthful of cavities after a year of doing this natural toothpaste and oil pulling, that would be a different situation. But so far, so good. Yeah. Were you having more cavities prior to this? Or have your cavities just stayed the same? I've kind of been prone to cavities throughout my life. And not not a crazy amount. But, you know, I would get them here and there. And I probably attribute it, thinking back to my diet eating, you know, drinking Diet Coke for breakfast and not having a very healthy diet growing up. Mm -hmm. It just occurs to me, this oil pulling thing. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I'm an acupuncturist, and so I I think about things in a certain way. There's, there's, There's a lot of popularity these days with facial acupuncture, right? Take a few years off your looks. I'm thinking if you were like swishing oil around in your mouth for 20 minutes, if you do that for a couple of months, it would really shift your facial muscles. Oh, you think so? In a negative way? No, in a positive way. I'm thinking about firm, firm and tighten things up. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe we, should do, maybe, maybe we could do some before and afters with people. <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, you, it's not like you're, you're like heavy-duty swishing. You know, you can let it sit. It's like gentle swishing. It's not like a painful jaw workout that we're talking about, although some people might do it that way. I don't know. Mm. But, you know, these are all things that have been done for a long time in lots of different places around the world. Right. You're not just inventing this yourself. I'm definitely not inventing it. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, Visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Tell us what else you got in your product line. Okay, so we've got the cleansing grains, which we talked about, the face oil, the coconut deodorant. Um, We also have a bare bum bomb, which is a bomb for, it started out as a diaper rash kind of a balm for babies and it's got calendula as well as Chinese herbs to combat irritation and rashes and sores Um, but since we've had it and since other people have used it on things other than bums like people have had success with you know eczema issues because it's very soothing it has the healing herbs in it people have used it for scratches and scrapes for burns Zoran burned his hand the other day just on the toaster oven and I like put some bum balm on it because that's kind of my answer for any kind of skin ailment, put some bum bum on it. And uh, it totally helped. And we use it for, um, the, our eldest daughter gets growing pain sometimes. So we kind of put it on, rub it on her knees. And it's probably a combination of the massage, the touch, and then the smell because it's got cocoa butter. So it smells like chocolate. Oh yeah, that's delicious. Um, so the bum bum has really kind of evolved from just a diaper balm to so much more. So I think uh, what we're going to be doing is we have, we'll keep a bum bum and then we'll work on a different version, which is slightly different, but doesn't have the word bum in it because people who don't have children are very unlikely to pick up a bum bum. And then we have uh, another one, which is basically a, a nourishing skin bomb, which is very, 
thick. It's got lots of shea butter and beeswax and olive oil infused with Chinese herbs to keep, keep and bring moisture into the skin. So it's really good in the winter when your skin gets dry and cracked. It kind of brings in the moisture and keeps it in there. And uh, so that's called our soft skin balm. And then that's pretty much it. And then we have another one that we're working on right now. And it's going to be kind of like a a muscle rub. So it's going to have a lot of, uh, it has ginger and cinnamon, the Chinese herbs. And you can tell us the Chinese names for it. I don't have it written down in front of me right now. And uh, a few other Chinese herbs to bring heat and warmth to the area. Uh, So for like achy joints and sprains that haven't healed and things like that. Arthritis issues, you know, back pain, muscle rub, that sort of thing. Iran's calling it, his, his version is the Tiger Bomb on steroids. That's what he's called it. Tiger Bomb on steroids. Well, if you'd like to test market some of that, I've got a bunch of patients that would be uh, willing guinea pigs. Well, I'll definitely send you some once we have it finalized. Hopefully in the next mm, month or so. That'd be great. I'm curious to know, it sounds like you're, you're quite, uh, quite the do-it-yourself sort of character. So for people that are listening to this, I mean, of course, we're going to send them to your website and look at your products because uh, it sounds like they, <laughs> they rock. Do rock. Thank you. <laughs> and they do rock. <laughs> and, and having used the, the bum bomb here myself, um, it's also good if you cut your head when shaving. I'm also working on a shave oil, a shaven beard oil. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but Iran is sporting quite the beard. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I noticed. So he's... He, he's looking like he's very hipsterish. He's, he's been spending Portland, way too exactly. much time in Portland. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's another one. That's another product that's coming down the pipe. But it's, it's hard. Things take a little time when I only have two days of work, of a week to work on these things. Because I've got a three-year-old at home the other days. So life is busy, but... Yeah, so that's another thing. But yeah, do it yourself. Yes, I'm definitely a do-it-yourselfer. Right. So if people in our listening audience wanted to do a little of do it themselves, they want to experiment with some of this themselves. Have you got some pointers and tips of of you know, like base ingredients to think about or ways of, of thinking about going at making well, your yeah. own? Yeah, it depends what they're looking to make, but. The internet is a vast resource, but you have to be careful about where you're reading things about. You know, it's good to get information from many different sources. I do lots of research before I before I settle on products, and I take out lots of books from the library and read a lot before I do something. So I do a lot of research, um, but it depends on what you're looking to do. You know, you can totally make your own body care products if you want to. You can totally make your own, you know, anything really. You can make your own furniture if you want to. You just have to. Do research and know that you're doing things safely and just, I would just research the ingredients. Make sure that you're using ingredients that you know are good for you and that you know are going to be beneficial. And use ingredients that are that are going to be beneficial. There's lots of ingredients that you can use, but they're kind of filler ingredients. So that's also why I make my own things because I don't want products with filler ingredients. I want all of the ingredients to have a purpose. What do you mean by filler ingredients? Is this like to fluff it up and make it well, heavier? Well, to make it f- more full with less cost. You know, a lot of a lot of products out there will say, you know, argan oil is a big is a big uh, a, a, I don't know a hip ingredient or something. It's a very it's a it's a rare oil and it's really good for your skin and your hair and it's got lots of anti aging properties and it's it's a really good oil. But a lot of products are jumping on this bandwagon of, you know, put argan oil on everything so they'll advertise it. And this kind of goes back to the greenwashing. Uh, or maybe it's not greenwashing. It's just making it seem like it has more than it actually does. Like it'll say argan oil body bomb. And then you turn over the ingredients and the first ingredient is, I don't know, it could be sunflower oil. And then it could have a bunch of other chemicals. And then near the end, it'll be listed as argan oil. So it does have argan oil in it, but it's nowhere near at the top of the list. So you also have to be careful about that. So that's kind of what I meant by filler ingredients. I don't want, like my products don't have ingredients that to me are filler ingredients. I don't put them in there just to take up space and to make the product cheaper because these are products that I use on myself. So why would I want products I use on myself to just be, you know, full of junk with a little bit of the good stuff? So that kind of goes back to the whole filler thing. You have to read the ingredients to know what is in the product, but then you also want to look at the order that it appears the first ingredient listed is usually what's most in the product. And then it goes down from there. Take that, keep that in mind when you're reading about products and ingredients. Really is essential to read the labels if you want to limit your exposure. 
And it's hard because you sometimes you don't have time. You've got kids in your grocery cart screaming and you just want to grab something and go because you don't have time. And I've done that because like I said earlier, it's all about balance. So I'm not going to beat myself up over it if I don't read the ingredients all the time because I didn't have time because someone was throwing a fit. So, but if you can, it's really important to read the ingredients and shop around because there's usually better options. You just have to look a little harder for them. Sure. I heard you mention about the dishwashing soap that you got home and all you had to do was open it up and start to use it and you realized that you got a hold of something that you really didn't want to be using. It smelled so strong and it was just overpowering. And I turned it over and the fourth ingredient on the list, and usually fragrance is way down at the bottom, but the fourth ingredient was fragrance. And I was so, oh, I was just mad. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was tricked. I was tricked by dish soap. Would you say you've become, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say you become more sensitive yes. to these kinds of things just because they're not so much in your environment these days? Yeah, Definitely. Definitely sensitive to scents. And it's not like I'm going to have a reaction, but I notice if someone's walking by me and they have, and they're heavily scented either from their hairspray or their cologne or, you know, the myriad of products that they're putting on their bodies. You can definitely tell. So, you know, if you get into an elevator and someone's obviously overdone it on the cologne or the perfume, it's just overpowering. Yeah. And I think I've definitely become more sensitive to that just because we don't really use artificial scents like that anymore. So when you do smell it in close proximity, it's kind of overwhelming because you remember how you just don't need it. And it's, and it just, it's too much. It can be overwhelming. Are you doing any shampoos? Um, <laughs> or, can, or, or thinking about it? No, um, not currently. And I used to use baking soda and apple cider vinegar as my shampoo and conditioner for the last few years. But I've recently come across information that says that baking soda has a higher pH than your hair, so it will eventually strip your hair over time. But I've discovered rye flour, and rye flour... Rye flour. Rye flour um, is, has a pH of 5, which is the same pH of your, as your hair, and I never knew this information before. You know, I'm always learning about new things. And apparently, you can use rye flour. So you just buy rye flour, ground, and you mix. And it depends how long your hair is. And for you, this might not be an issue for you because I know you don't have very long hair. No, I, I would be more interested in the shaving cream for my head. Oh, yeah. But so the rye flour, you just mix it with a little bit of water to make kind of like a runny paste that's similar to consistency of shampoo. And I add a little bit of rosemary essential oil to kind of take it away from just the fact that I'm putting rye flour in my hair because, you know, it's a little odd. I didn't want to be the one to say it. I know. It's, you know what? I'm the first one to say that some of the things I try are odd, but you know what? It totally works. So if I can get away with washing my hair with rye flour, which I know for now, anyway, there's always new developments coming out, but I'm pretty sure that rye flour is very low on the toxicity scale. You know, it's, it's gentle it's mild, and it totally works as shampoo. And I never would have thought that before. And it's definitely not your typical showering experience where you get the suds. You do not get suds. And it's, it's a weird texture. But um, for me, it's worth it. You, you have to want to do stuff like this in order to put rye flour in your hair. Because it's not necessarily a pleasant experience. But I'd rather wash my hair with rye flour and then use shampoo. It's cheaper. It's better for the environment. I'm not washing chemicals down the drain, which are going into our waterways, which are going into our fish, which we're eating. And it kind of just makes sense to me. And I know it probably won't make sense to a lot of other people. It sounds a little bit crunchy. It's definitely, oh, that's pretty crunchy. Like that is way crunchy. Baking soda and vinegar in your hair has become more mainstream. But when I started doing that a few years ago, that was like totally weird. But I find a lot of the things that I'm doing, you know, more and more people are open to experimenting with different things because they're realizing that the chemical load in, their, in the products they're using is it's a lot. So if people are maybe having some skin sensitivities with their shampoos, they might want to consider this rye flower thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> As an experiment. I'm just thinking, 
you know, you could do almost anything for 30 days and just see what happens, see how it works yeah, but for you. Yeah, you have to be the kind of person who is willing to do something like that. You know, I have lots of friends who would never, ever in a million years wash their hair with rye flour because they just won't. Like, that's just too weird for them. But lots of people will. And if they're having sensitivities, if rye flour is way too out there, which it is for a lot of people, just do a lot of research and find a shampoo or conditioner that is really gentle and mild. There's a database called the Environmental Working Group, and I believe the website is ewg.org. You know, we'll get it figured out and put it on the show notes page. Okay, yeah, it's it's a great resource because um, it's a database of thousands of products, and they're rated on their toxicity levels. And I think it goes from one to six, and one is really good. It means there's it goes through all of the ingredients in the product, and it rates them. So products with a rating of zero or one are really good. They don't have a lot of chemicals that are that are known to be, you know, hormone disrupting or cancer causing or yucky things. And then it'll talk about other products that you know might you might think are green, you might think are natural, but they might have a rating of six, which is high on that scale. And that means that it has a lot of these carcinogenic ingredients, uh, hormone disrupting ingredients. So that's a really good resource to have. So if, you're, if your current shampoo or if your current anything is causing you trouble, it's a good idea to look into different options. And that's one really good resource that, I, that I've used in the past. Great. Well, we'll certainly point our listeners toward that. It sounds like it could be really helpful. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's one of those ones that you, it's a good to kind of have around that if you're, if you're curious about a new product or curious about a new um, anything, to type it in, see if the research is there for it, and then... And then you use your own judgment. Right. Any other uh, sort of, uh, well, I was going to say off the wall, but <laughs> any other interesting uh, DIY sorts of uh, solutions that, you've, that you want to share with us? Well, we make kombucha at home. We make bone broth. So these are things Ooh, that have- Tell us about the bone broth. Bone broth has been like totally in the news lately. I know. And it's so old fashioned. It's been around for centuries and, you know- People always used to eat bone broth. It was just a thing. You just take your bones from your leftover meat and you're not going to throw it away because meat was expensive and you always use every last bit. So you put it in the stock pot, add water and herbs and all sorts of stuff and boil it away. And that's basically what we do. We buy our um, chicken bits from our chicken man at the farmer's market. And um, we usually buy chicken feet because there's a lot of gelatin in the chicken feet and that gives it that thick. Like once it cools, it kind of turns into jello. You know it's good if it's kind of like gelatinous and it's kind of gross, but once you warm it up, it all liquefies anyway. Right. So we basically just put chicken feet, a few chicken backs, some bones and necks and whatever, put it in a big pot, um, add water and we add kombu, seaweed. We add astragalus, which is Chinese herb as well for boosting your immunity. We add ginger, turmeric, salt and pepper. You can add anything really. You can add any spices or herbs and bring it to a boil and let it simmer for a long time. Long time. So a long time's what? Three hours? Six hours? Well, we usually three days. We used to do, <laughs> some people do three days. We used to go about four hours, but recently I've been going eight to twelve hours, depending on when I can start it. And then you strain it out, and then I usually put it in big mason jars and refrigerate it or freeze it. And then I do a second simmer with the bones again for another twelve hours. And that produces a less gelatinous, probably less nutrient-dense version, but that's the kind of one that we'll use in congee or in, a, in, a, in any, any dish, really. It's still good. It's just not as, as high nutrient-dense as the first version. Are you doing cow bones as well? No, just chicken. Just chicken so far. Iran doesn't eat four-legged land mammals, so we kind of stay away from cows. And, ah, got it. But yeah, so it's great, though. And we just, we've been drinking it. It's been really nice to have... Um, in the winter when it's cold to have just warm up a mug of bone broth and sip on that. It's kind of, I'm not sure. It, I haven't been sick yet this year. Who knows? I'll probably get sick tomorrow just for saying that. But I think, I think the combination of all of the things that we've been doing has probably been boosting our immunity. I also made fire cider for the first time this year. Have you heard of fire cider? No, I haven't. Is that like moonshine? <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, I can see why you might think that. No, it's... um. I read about it first on Mountain Rose Herbs, which is this great uh, wholesale organic herb company that I get a lot of my ingredients from. And they have a blog, and they were talking about fire cider. And, of course, that piqued my interest. I'm like, ooh, this is something new and weird. I have to try it. 
And it's basically you chop up uh, onion, horseradish, ginger, garlic, uh, rosemary. I can't remember all the ingredients. I can find a link and send it to you and you can put it up. And you basically put it in a big jar, add some spices and, and then top it off with apple cider vinegar. And you let it sit for a month, shaking it every day. And then you strain it and add honey to sweeten it. And then that's essentially kind of an immunity tonic that you would take. You could take a little, like a tablespoon every day just to kind of boost your immunity as a preventative measure. If you feel like you're getting sick, you can have more, like three tablespoons or just a shot of it. And it tastes, well, Loren says it tastes like vomit. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm making this sound really appealing. Well, at least it's not beaver anal glands. Exactly. At least it's not beaver butt, right? And it's it's hot because of the horseradish and the onions and the herbs. Like it's very spicy, but it's like it's like taking a shot of of straight alcohol. But it's not alcoholic at all. It just it's immune boosting. It has all of these really good uh, ingredients, and it's an old folk remedy. It's been used. You know, people have been making it for years and years. Again, this is nothing new. And uh, so I've been doing fire cider, which is really cool. You know, this fire cider stuff. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a wicked probiotic because if you're taking oh, all yeah. that that material and then you're letting it sit and ferment for a month, totally, it would and be you can also really good it. for the gut bacteria. Oh, I think it, it is, and you can also use it as um, as your vinegar base in a salad. Like for if you want like a really spicy salad dressing, just mix it with some olive oil. It'd be awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. So there's that, and then there's kombucha, which I've been making for a while now, and our youngest daughter loves kombucha. Loves it. Wakes up in the morning and asks for kombucha. She oh loves it. Oh, my goodness. It. It's hilarious. That's a little different. I was going to say that's a little bit different than asking for a diet soda in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. She's yeah, asking for kombucha. Fabulous. But she, she's, she eats all sorts of crazy things. She likes you know goat cheese and olive. She has a very mature palate for her age. She doesn't like chocolate. She doesn't like sweets. That's a really interesting observation. I've found as, as I've gotten away from sweet... Mm-hmm. I find sweet to be actually rather unpleasant. Mm-hmm. I found the same thing. I used to love sweets, love chocolate bars, and just like the drugstore chocolate that's you know barely any chocolate. It's mostly sugar. I used to love it, and now if I have it, it just it's way too sweet for me. It's way too sweet. I actually started making chocolate. I made chocolate yesterday. It was really good. How do you make chocolate? It's so easy. You just. <laughs> You buy well. I have cocoa butter in the home because I use it in some of our products. So you just use cocoa butter, and you add. I have cacao powder. You could use cocoa powder. And what else did I put in there? I put in a little bit of sweetener, and I tried four different versions just to kind of see because I'm always doing different versions of things, whether it's skincare or chocolate. I have to have, you know, I have to try different versions of ingredients to see which one I end up liking the best. So I tr- I used one version with coconut sugar. A little bit. Another one uh, with maple syrup. Another version with brown rice syrup, which is apparently lower on the glycemic index, so it doesn't spike your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And then the last one had honey in it. So it's basically just cocoa butter. Melt it down. And then um, you add the rest of your ingredients. So you added your sweetener and your cocoa powder, your cacao powder, which is raw cocoa powder. So it's kind of got more of the nutrients in it. Um, and then you can add flavorings, and I added I added chopped ginger to one, but it ended up making it too watery, so I wouldn't do that one again. I'd probably use powdered ginger, mm-hmm. and then I made like kind of like a chai spice where I crushed up some cardamom seeds and cloves and some cinnamon, and I put that in, and that was really good. Okay, well you're gonna have to put the basic recipe up on the show notes page. No problem. It's so easy though. Like literally, you melt cocoa butter, add a few other things, pour it into a mold or like in a muffin tin, refrigerate it. And then that's chocolate. Well, you know, it sounds too like these skincare products that you're making as well. It doesn't sound like rocket surgery. No, it's not. It's not. It's fairly it's, simple. But it is simple. But you have to either want to like not everybody likes making things. Like I'm definitely a do-it-yourselfer. I like making things. I've always liked making things. I've always learned different skills, whether knitting, sewing, pottery, skincare, chocolate making. But not everybody likes making their own thing. So while it is very easy, it totally isn't anybody can do it, not everybody is going to do it. So, you know, find other people who will do it. Simplicity really rules here, doesn't it? <laughs> totally. Yeah, it doesn't have to be so complicated. Everybody has very busy lives and children and work, and you just 
you do what you can. Well, Christine, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners here? We're getting close to the end of the show, and wonder if you have any closing remarks or final ideas that you'd like to share with our listening audience. Yeah, no, I think just just be aware of the different things around you, and and if you make and it can be overwhelming if you want to make a big change. It can be overwhelming because once you start looking at all the ingredients in your skincare or your cleaning products or the food you eat or the containers you put your food in, it can be really overwhelming. It can be really costly to replace these things. But if you make one change at a time, you know, next time you go to buy peanut butter, get peanut butter that just has peanuts in it. You know, when I used to eat peanut butter that was, you know, the big name brand, and it's full of sugar, and it's just not necessary. And your palate kind of totally changes. And so then you make one change. Try a new peanut butter next time. And then when you run out of dish soap, the next time you buy dish soap, just spend a few minutes looking at the back of certain products and find one that's better. And then when you run out of whatever, whatever you use when you run out of it, try not to be overwhelmed because it can. Like change is hard for people. And it's, it is, but if you just make one change at a time, then you're slowly getting yourself, you know, healthier by using less chemicals or less sugar because sugar is everywhere. So if you can cut out that by just shopping around and trying some different products, then you're a little bit better for it. Yeah. So step by step. Step by step doesn't have to be so overwhelming. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. This is yeah. so fun. I was really looking forward to this conversation today and uh, and looking forward to your uh, whatever it is that you've got to, you know, shave skin with. I'm happy to be your <laughs> I'm happy to be your white mouse for that. I will definitely send you some to try when I have it down. <laughs> Sounds good, Christine. Talk to you later. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Michael. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.